0: Head to UFMUnderwear.com and use promo code BREAKDOWN for $5 off your purchase. UFM Underwear. Support your manhood. And also brought to you by MyBookie, where you can double your first deposit. Head to MyBookie.ag and use promo code GATORS to activate the offer. Bet. Win. Get paid at MyBookie. Gators Breakdown, the Gators fan podcast, because there's never a dull moment in Gator Nation. The Gators Breakdown podcast is ready to go. I'm your host, David Waters, and you can find me on Twitter at Gator Dave underscore SCC. Just walked in the door uh, about an hour ago from Columbia, South Carolina, uh, but ready to get Gators Breakdown out there for you guys after Florida's 38-27 victory. Over South Carolina, and joining me for this episode for the reaction, the review episode is Will Salmon from the Athletic. Will, man, are you uh, are you dry yet? <laughs> I'm dry. I'm. Uh, you know, it's actually like really nice in Gainesville, but South
1: Carolina, particularly Columbia, was not very nice weather at all. It was very rainy, and you know, I actually felt pretty good there. And then right when I get home, though, like my allergies start to really act up. So. Man, can't have
0: it both ways, I guess. No, yeah, guys, if you're watching this on YouTube, that's why uh no camera for Will today. Uh, I know exactly how it feels last Wednesday. Uh, I had to, uh, you know. Uh, punt a little bit uh, in, in some covers because my allergies were, were uh, kicking my tail uh, as well. So if you're on the YouTube version, uh, you'll get the uh, scoreboard. Uh, Gators 38, Gamecocks 27 up when uh, when Will is talking. But Will, man, I can't thank you enough you know, for joining me and uh, and kind of uh, fighting through this there. Uh, and also, uh, shout out to my uh, my wife's side of the family, my wife's Kaylee and uh, her stepbrother, Joseph and uh, CJ, her side of the family for uh, hooking us up with some great tickets there uh, for, for the game. So, yeah. Uh, uh, a lot of fun there in, uh, in, in Columbia, and even even though the rain uh, was there, uh, we fought through it and had, had a lot of fun, though. So we'll get to uh, breaking down this game, but before we do, remember you can find Gators Breakdown on news4jax.com slash Gators Breakdown. You'll find all the Gators Breakdown episodes as well as articles from the News 4 Jax sports team. Also listen on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and YouTube when using those services. Please share, rate, and review the show. And on social media, follow Gators Breakdown on Twitter and Facebook at Gators Breakdown. Uh, And don't forget, every week, a News 4 Jacks exclusive, Talking with Troop, former Gators tight end Ben Troop, joins me once a week this season uh, and gives his spill on the Gators like only he can. That's every week exclusively on News4Jacks.com. .com slash Gators Breakdown. So, well, yeah, we, we, dic- we discussed it, you know, and, in, in, uh, you know, we wondered where this team would be physically, mentally, uh, and, and the Gators are coming off two big headlining games uh, heading into Columbia this weekend. You know, also beat up uh, as well. We figured Jabari Zuniga and Jonathan Grenard weren't going to suit up, and it was announced about an hour before kickoff that tandem would not go. The weather was, uh, you know, dreary. Uh, wet injury. Uh, the Gamecocks were coming off their big win versus Georgia and their quarterback, Ryan Helensky, ended up starting and playing the entire game to the surprise of many. Will this had all the makings of a trap game for Florida. Florida you know, uh, played into it with giving up an opening touchdown drive and, and then a three and out on offense. Uh, and then the rain soaked uh, Williams-Bride Stadium was sandstorming it up at the time. But uh, the Gators kept fighting and just found another way to win games like these. Yeah, definitely, and I know Kyle Trask said that the weather and the rain didn't necessarily
1: impact his ability to throw the ball accurately but it wasn't really his best first half of of the season to put it that way um he's had better performances in the start of games so i don't know if it had an issue or what uh but he was rushing a little bit that's the way dan mullen explained it to me at least after the game was kyle trask was rushing through through his reads and therefore we saw him sort of make some early decisions maybe some premature decisions even with who he was throwing the ball to on certain downs but he cleared that he cleaned that up he improved that as the game went on uh, especially in the fourth quarter where he really came alive and really showed some poise again which has really been his M.O. so far um, this season and the defense uh, they, they made a play after South Carolina was running the ball through them at will. Uh, they finally stepped up and made a play on that strip sack uh, from Zach Carter with the recovery off from Kyrie Campbell. So it all came together. Was not as pristine as some Florida fans would want it would want it to be, or at least probably the all florida fans would want it to be uh but you know i'm going to say something that maybe people don't want to hear but south carolina is a pretty decent team there i yeah. thought that they played really well i really like their defense and their running attack is really no joke uh they, they have a firm idea of what they want to accomplish and they were able to do that against the gators defense but all in all um you like the resolve that florida showed and again it wasn't pristine, but they got the job done and they showed you enough to make you think that this is a team that is firmly capable of winning the SEC East and and perhaps going even beyond that.
0: Yeah, South Carolina is definitely uh, an improving team here uh, as the season goes on. And Will, you're right, man. Um, Mullen mentioned that focus really wasn't there early on, and, and that bled over from the Gators not really having a great rec practice. I heard him say as well after the LSU loss, you know. And, and we know we talked about it coming into this game. It's hard to get up three games in a row, and, and the Gators found a way not playing their best. And, and Mullen said, "Quote, you know, we started really sloppy with execution, and not just that, we didn't block, but guys running the wrong direction, getting the wrong signal, running the wrong." All plays that was, kind of, that was kind of disappointing, but we felt we had a good plan and we told the guys just to keep sticking with it. In quotes, so you, you know you, you could see that from, you know from the first time this season, as you mentioned, Kyle Trask he had an up and down first three quarters, not quite as sharp as we were accustomed to seeing from him, but he really turned it on in the fourth quarter where he goes five to six for sixty-four yards and three touchdowns uh, in the final frame. There could be many reasons for the slow start. You know the teams are teams are starting to get more film on Trask having to get up to play another road game the rain uh, just you know honestly just sometimes you're just going to have a a performance like that as well so you know any of that or or all of that could have played a part but when he needed to show up and, and start producing he made some big plays will Yeah, I mean, I really think he was
1: rushing. Um, I do. I think that's probably I don't know. I don't know if South Carolina was really doing anything all that differently against him uh, to make him do that, because he he did have time on a couple of those throws. You know, I remember distinctively on one throw where he tried to float it to Van Jefferson. He had Kyle Pitts open, never really saw him. And there wasn't really a whole lot of pressure and yet he still ended up throwing off his back foot and just a throw that he probably regretted right away uh, just because there was, there was coverage there and there were, there were other options. But again, we saw a significant improvement in the fourth quarter where on that drive leading to that go-ahead touchdown for Florida. Not only did he have that scramble on the third down, but he also made that play happen on fourth down, where he ended up finding Pitts after a play that actually took, and I counted, five full seconds uh, from the snap of the ball to the, to the time that Pitts was able to catch it. And that's because you know South Carolina showed a a, showed a blitz. Uh, they, they, they looked as if they were going to blitz five guys or, or rush five guys, but then they backed off. And so it was a little bit of a different look that Kyle Trask had to sort of um, understand in his brain and, and readjust his clock his, for, for how much time he actually had and kind of scramble, made a play, found pits hit him, um, and that was all credit to him extending that play. And I thought that showed, again, a, a great example of the poise that he has under pressure, which is pretty which is pretty cool to see because this is a guy, again, with not a whole lot of experience making these sort of plays, um, at least not a whole lot of game experience, I should say, making these plays. So yeah, he, he again, he didn't have his best first three quarters of the season, uh, but that fourth quarter, that was impressive. Uh, I don't want to say it was the best that we've seen him, but it was pretty up there as far as as far as performances go. He played really well that fourth quarter.
0: Yeah, I'll go back to that drive of the game. You know, I think we can label that drive of the game, that drive, the drive of the game there, because the Gators couldn't waste it. It, it was a drive that started near midfield, 13:29 left in the game. Florida's down 20 to 17, and the Gators go 52 yards on seven plays. And the you know, rain was really coming down at this point in the game. Uh, the first five plays on that drive were runs. Uh, P. Ryan nine yards, P. Ryan two, Swain one yard, P. Ryan one yard, uh, and then Trask was also, you know, a five-yard run uh, on that third. Down to set up uh, a fourth and three, and as you said, your know, Trask leaves the pocket, kept the play alive, finds Kyle Pitt on the run for a nine-yard gain to keep the drive alive. And man, then the then the next play, the, the throw to Freddie Swain, open on a diving catch in the end zone, uh, and, and the Gators take over. Uh, that I mean, uh, take over kind of you know, over, over after that. I mean, nice adjustment by Trask and, and Swain there to, to you know to, to get that completed in the end zone, and really nice catch by Swain uh, there diving there. So you know, next drive, uh, of course, the. D- Defenses on the field. Zach Carter sacked fumble around Ryan Helensky and the Gators start again in great field position and that drive ends with uh, South Carolina fans throwing wet towels on the field as Trask finds Kyle Pitts opening the end zone as Josh Hammond gets away uh, with, with a block of a defender there and, and the Gators taking an 11-point lead, 31-20. to 20. Then Trask gets his third touchdown of the fourth quarter and fourth of the game on the tunnel screen to Grimes and that essentially sealed the game with a 38-20 score at that point. So Gators were fortunate with field position and perhaps some calls from the officials there. Uh, but, Will, you know, what good teams do is when they have opportunities to take advantage they take advantage and that's absolutely what the Gators did in the fourth quarter yeah definitely I think you could kind of point to that that
1: fumble on the strip sack as really um a Finally, Florida not making necessarily a complete adjustment, but actually cashing in on something that they've been trying to do against those draw plays. Because it wasn't that Holinski was just dropping back to pass on that play. He was actually looking for a handoff on, on another draw. And the draws were killing, absolutely crushing Florida mm-hmm. the whole game. Um, and Todd Grantham calls a corner blitz, which was pretty effective if you watch the game against South Carolina with C.J. Yeah. Henderson, and he has a, a good knack for using his speed and getting to the quarterback on these plays, um, and it was working throughout, but it really worked on this play because he's coming off that blitz uh, from, from, from as a corner, and that prevents Holinsky from actually going with the the. The, uh, the draw because the running back is completely covered by Henderson on that. So he has to, keep, has to hold on to the ball. And by then, the pressure up the middle is right in his face with Zach Carter. So that that's a key adjustment, I thought, you know, or at least a key play where they finally were able to kind of stop that draw from happening because that completely burned them. And I know people want to kind of question the run defense, and rightfully so. Uh, it wasn't a great performance. Uh, preventing preventing long runs. I think South Carolina had at at least five or six runs of of at least fourteen yards or more, and that's that's too many. Even with a good running team like South Carolina, which is I think they're number two in yards per carry in the SEC behind just Georgia after this game. And by the way, that's versus Florida, Georgia, and Alabama. That's the decision mm-hmm. for South Carolina, which goes to show you that they're pretty good at running the ball. Um, but the, the run defense wasn't great. But I give South Carolina credit because, yes, Florida was without two of their best defenders in Jabari Zuniga and Jonathan Gernard, and that mattered. But South Carolina really schemed it up well. They were pulling guards completely um, creating a numbers advantage in their favor while doing so on a number of plays. And when they weren't doing that, they were running these draw plays on on some weird downs. I think it was like a third third and long where they ended up with a touchdown on that play. And I don't think anybody really saw that coming on Florida's side. If you look at the play, um, they look a little bit off guard by it. And it was a great, great design, great call at the time. So for me, I look at it as, yeah, there, there were a handful of times where the linebackers for Florida were just not in the right fits. And, and they made some, some premature decisions on, on where to go after the snap. But South Carolina also was very, very astute in, in their play calls and their design. So I give them some credit as well.
0: Uh, yeah, to finish up on uh, Kyle Trask and what he was able to do—the the first Gator since Tim Tebow to throw for four touchdown passes in a road game—and Trask is the first Gator with three-plus touchdown passes in consecutive SEC games since 2001. So been uh, been forever since you know he's the first Gator with three-plus touchdown passes in consecutive SEC games since 2001. So question for you there folks before uh, you know if you want to go back, go back by name so will let's uh let's stay with the passing game and uh, many fans finally got to see what they've been waiting on and wide receiver Jacob Copeland uh, makes his uh, long-awaited uh, big game uh, appearance his best game his best game since he's uh, lined up in a gators uniform best game of his career so far with three catches for 89 yards and a strong go up and get it catch or run for a touchdown targeted three times caught all three became the uh, eighth Gator to eclipse 150 receiving yards this season marking the first time since 1992 Florida had eight different players with 150 plus receiving yards also he he and Trevon Grimes become the fifth and sixth different Gators with multiple touchdown receptions this season Will, with an inconsistent run game, it's good for the Gators that Copeland has shown uh, the potential here to maybe become another reliable receiver in this deep, deep, deep receiver core.
1: Definitely. What isn't shown, I think, on like a lot of TV replays, because I rewatched the game this morning before I left uh, my hotel, is the route that Copeland ran on that touchdown, because that was pretty impressive. I think he, he faked to the outside. And then he slipped inside and created a lot of separation between him and the defender that allowed that pass for that ball to be delivered. And then he goes up and makes a great catch. But lost in that great catch is just the route that he ran to get open initially in the first place, which points to the reason why he was on the field. And that's because, according to Dan Mullen, his improvement over the last couple of weeks in practice was the real reason why we saw an uptick in his usage and targets thrown at him. Uh, he's becoming he's learning why he needs to be more exact in routes learning the playbook a lot more and that that matters for copeland and his overall growth because next year he's a guy that this team is definitely going to need but even in this year right because like you mentioned the run game hasn't been all that great i think it's improving and i'm sure we'll probably talk about that a little bit later on but they they've had to have some creative ways to to get it off to get it off and going and in the middle of that, the passing game has really been the focal point. And Florida has u- utilized four and five wide receiver sets really effectively. And they've been able to be that good because one, obviously, the guys are, are really talented. But secondly, when you have that many guys on the field, five, five wide receivers, there's going to be a mismatch somewhere, probably a couple of them. And with Florida having, what now, six, seven guys that teams have to prepare for because, All these guys have a a decent amount of catches between them. It's not just one guy who leads this team drastically in targets. Copeland becomes another guy that you have to prepare for. if If he is going to take his game to the next level and be relied on and continue to improve his knowledge of the playbook, and so that matters this year. And. Not just next year, so it was good to see um, because he is that guy that that's going to be counted on. But uh, but yeah, he adds just another name to that to that long list of wide receivers that Florida can utilize this season.
0: Another player of Florida has been eager to see, and he comes back after getting injured uh, versus Auburn, and uh, you know con- more than like a concussion. I didn't ever really get too much word on that, but uh, of course, you know, he didn't play last week. But Damian Pierce, 75-yard touchdown run, run, was the third of the season of at least 75 yards for the Gator. And kind of crazy, that sets a single season school record for the Gators of three runs or 75 yards uh, or more, uh, of at least 75 yards. So by Michael P. 88 yard run versus Auburn. Josh Hammond's 76 yard touchdown run at Kentucky. So uh, entering uh, yesterday's game, Memphis was the only FBS team with three rushing plays of 75 plus yards, and the Gators joined them um, after this game. So Will, you, you kind of alluded to it. We may be seeing this run game figure things out a little more. Still nowhere need. Uh, still nowhere where it needs to be consistent wise, uh, consistency wise, and you know, Big runs will help make that look better on the surface, and there, there are signs of improvement. To get some, you know, talented defenses in the last few weeks for these Gators, you've seen Michael P. Run, uh, run hard as well with the insertion of of Garage more into the starting uh, five on offensive line. You're starting to see some more holes uh, open up there, uh, but it's these big runs here that are, are really noticeable there. So, you know, with this being a, a season, a single season school record. Uh, with three 75 yard, uh, uh, at least 75 yard touchdowns, I don't know how many more we can expect here because uh, history says you know it's pretty hard for Florida uh, to be doing this. But you see the big play potential of uh, of Piran a couple weeks ago versus Auburn. Damian Pierce does this as well on, on, on his return after missing one game, and that's the kind of run we, we you know we saw early from Damian Pierce. Last year, um, it, when he was getting on the field late in games, is hey, can he do this versus defense that aren't so tired or, 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 ha- or having to play catch up here? And when the game, you know, it's, it's a close game there in, in Columbia and Florida needed a big play, Florida needed to keep up with what South Carolina was showing. Is Damian Pierce hitting a 75 yard run. Yeah, for sure. You, you nailed it
1: there. A lot of times his runs last year, the gripe about it, not necessarily the gripe, but if you wanted to kind of nitpick or kind of second guess or be a little bit, I don't want to say concerned, but just, you know, kind of just question, like, how good is this guy? Um, It was because it was in garbage time, a lot of his action. But this was certainly far from that. This is when it mattered, and he delivered. He's explosive, man. He's, He's an explosive player. He runs hard, he's a very physical guy. And like what Michael Piran, he runs. He runs tough too. I mean, he's he breaks yards. He's not afraid. Of, breaks tackles. He's not afraid of contact. Racks up a lot of a uh, lot of yards after contact. So it was good to see. Um, and it, again, it definitely does highlight that big play potential. But not only that, and I know Brett Heggie made a, a nice block on the pool um, on that play to kind of help create um, a lane for for Pierce to hit. But not not only that, but I actually liked a lot of their short yardage situations too in the running game because South Carolina – I don't know how many people know this, but on on third and say third and three, third and short situations when teams run the ball, they're the best team in the SEC at defending it um, statistically. I think they were at like something like one point like one yards per attempt on that like they were dynamite heading into this game, and three times Florida had runs on on third and two or less, and they converted on all three. Uh, they had runs of four, two, and four yards, and previously. Heading into this game, those were runs where Florida was getting stuffed at the line, mm-hmm. if you remember correctly. Like that was a big issue. And so it was super, super sort of a uh, naughty issue here uh, to bring up. Uh, but I, I think it's a, it's a cool thing because if you're looking for growth from this offensive line, those are the things that you wanted to see because, again, that's where they were getting stuffed. And for them to actually have success against a team that is really good at defending that, I thought that it's a small thing, but it shouldn't go overlooked.
0: Well, another another thing that you know entered my mind here. Yeah, and of course it was very limited in, in what we saw, especially after he got a lot of snaps at LSU with the lack of Emory Jones. Uh, in these, you said you said you know short yardage situations, uh, parts where you thought maybe he could have been in, uh, especially you know with Kyle Trask inconsistent in, in the first three uh, quarters there, and and trying to maybe just get this run game going uh, better as well. Were you kind of surprised after we saw him a good bit versus LSU, uh, another road game uh, here that we didn't see Emory Jones. I don't know, if, you know, weather played into it or or what. You know, we, we get the one snap uh, in the game, but uh, not much uh, from it uh, from from the Emory Jones side in this game. No,
1: and Dan Mullen was asked about that, uh, saying that Brian Johnson was was on the headset a couple of times, just saying, "Hey, you know, Emory's ready to go. Uh, we have some plays and some plans for him." I think because of. Florida sloppiness in that first quarter, particularly, mm-hmm. where they had that first series that just was abs- uh, just gross. I mean, they had, like you like mentioned earlier, uh, they had the miss assignments. I think there was a drop. There was um, an overthrow. There was a miscommunication. It was bad. And so I think that got them a little bit out of rhythm with what they were trying to do, or at least with the game plan may have, may have been as far as this play, this play, that play, that play, and so on as far as the script went. And I think the rain may have been a little bit to it as well. Um, um, because I think what we've seen from Dan Mullen with his usage of Emory Jones is it, it's very much by design a lot of these times, right? Like he's stepping in there, there's a certain package, there's a certain look that he's going against and it's been pretty effective for the most part. Uh, and We didn't see it in this game and I was a little bit surprised by that um, just because it's worked pretty well, I think, the two, the two QB system or as well as it probably could. And he has been a factor in the running game. He was, he was averaging a, a good amount of yards, more than, more than the running backs per carry. So I was a little bit surprised by it. But I, I suspect to see him against Georgia. I suspect to see him uh, in the remaining games as well. I think this was more of an anomaly than anything.
0: I agree with you there. I don't think it's too much to look into uh, or anything, especially because we saw him so much versus LSU. So I do agree. I expect to see him more there. So we'll move to the uh, defensive side of the ball. But before we do, whether you want to make a national title bet or wager on this weekend's game, my bookie has you covered. My bookie is always the right play. You bet, you win, they pay. Have some fun with betting this season. My bookie lets you bet on which college coaches will get fired, who will make the college football playoff, or win the Heisman Trophy. You can even bet on halftime lines and live odds. If by the second half it looks like your bet is going to lose, you can always just take the other side. And my bookie also allows you to bet on FBS versus FCS games. So right now, double your first deposit at my bookie. Use promo code Gators to activate the offer. Visit MyBookie online today at MyBookie.ag. That's M-Y-B-O-O-K-I-E And don't forget to use the promo code Gators when creating your account to claim the bonus. Bet, win, get paid at MyBookie. And guys, you have got to try UFM Underwear. Underwear for Men is the only brand of men's underwear that offers both isolation and support, all while keeping you cool. Unlike other pouch underwear brands that have thin mesh panels or pre sized pouches, Underwear for Men's patented pending design prevents skin on skin contact and eliminates chafing. Underwear for Men is a state of Florida company and has you covered no matter the activity. Everyday underwear, athletic underwear, work underwear, or medical underwear, Underwear for Men is made for it all. Try your pair now. Head to ufmunderwear.com and use promo code breakdown to get $5 off your pair of UFM underwear. UFM underwear, support your manhood. We'll go, so going back to last week in the preview for the for the South Carolina game, now I singled out David Reese as being the guy that we need to show up for the Gators with, with South Carolina coming in. Uh, I, I hobbled quarterback if Halenchy was going to play, or or a quarterback that was going to run it more, and to carry on uh, a joiner if he was healthy enough here. Uh, but you know, either way, those quarterbacks were going to hand off to the to the running backs uh, for South Carolina. Plus, you know, Will Muschamp just wanting to run the ball a, as a preference of his. And you know, this is the type of game that just suits David Reese's style of play. Now, overall, you know, Florida had some trouble stopping the run. We'll get into that. You mentioned it earlier as well. And just gave up too many chunk yards. But David Reese made his presence felt with. So his presence felt with 13 total tackles and seven of those solo. Yeah, he had a great game, and I think he's just a tackle
1: machine out there. Uh, he's not perfect in pass coverage. I think we've outlined that a couple of times this mm-hmm. year. But he is really good at, at helping at that second level. And a lot of those times on those draws, one, one time in particular that I'll mention, they, they, they call a draw play, and it really worked because David Reese was – guarding, a, defending a wide receiver. And so he was on the left side, and that wide receiver went out for a route, uh, taking David Reese pretty much into the secondary. And then they call that draw play, and they run right to the left side. So that pretty much eliminates David Reese. So that, that and it went for a long, long game for South Carolina. And that was a product of eliminating Reese from that play. Um, that, so that goes to show you the respect that they have and just knowing that he's the guy who helps prevent those runs uh, from really bursting into the huge plays more often than not uh, by his help at the second level. But the, the Gators definitely needed more of that, though. Uh, yeah. that, you know, I think Ventrell Miller, uh, they, they could have used him to step up a little bit more at times um, to help prevent that those, those runs at the second level. Uh, because again, I mentioned it earlier, but it goes, it's worth repeating that South Carolina did a really good job scheming things up, pulling their guards, uh, getting those extra blockers on, on the side of the ball that they were wanting to run to, and really set them up well uh, so that they had one-on-one massive matchups. And their blockers, off, more often than not, won those for them, and that created some Good chunk plays, like you mentioned in the run game for uh, for South Carolina.
0: Yeah, kind of aggravating because it's kind of been two weeks in a row we know we've seen where this defensive front's out of position uh, on, on plays even before the snap, getting to their spots late. That led to some of these South Carolina chunk runs. Now, you know, not all of South Carolina runs were, were because of that. As you mentioned, South Carolina's offensive line did a good job getting to the second level at times, sealing off linebackers. Uh, but this defensive line you know, didn't cause enough uh, disruption uh, allowing, South, allowing South Carolina to, to hit too many chunk plays, uh, safeties taking you know, wrong angles. Uh, missing tackles th- this game as well. Uh, other times, using uh, as we you go back uh, earlier in your ep- uh, earlier in the episode, where you said you know, just using draws on third down against this aggressive Gators approach on third down. Uh, and then you know, look, they were doing this. South Carolina starting running back Rico Dowdle only had one carry for eight yards as he was injured. But I mean, Tavian Feaster comes in and has runs of. 36, a 21-yarder for a touchdown, and another 37-yard run. Mon Denson comes in, added carries of 25, 14, and two 14-yard runs. You know, after doing so well uh, against Auburn a couple weeks ago and stopping the run, the skaters' run defense hasn't replicated uh, that success the last two weeks versus LSU in South Carolina. Uh, South Carolina runs for 238 yards after you after you remove sack yardage. And Feaster ended his day 25 carries for 175 yards and a touchdown, averaging seven yards per carry. And, you know, everybody's looking at how Florida is defending the run because you know that's what you're going to get against Georgia in, in a couple of weeks. So you know, it's kind Kind of really, you know, put under a microscope right now because you know what's coming in two weeks for the Gators. Oh, no question about it. Especially
1: when you look at Georgia's uh, offense as a whole as a whole, and you say, Wow, Jake From Jake yeah. From is coming off his worst uh game in terms of overall passing yards in his career. Um, and it just looked beleaguered, Georgia's offense, aside from the fact that they still have Swift and Swift is as pretty much as good as he gets. Um, And he and he is good enough to carry that team on his shoulders, which is what he pretty much did against Kentucky. So, yeah, I'm completely with you. I think it's magnified because of that. But again, we go back to they need Jabari Zuniga and Grenard Mm -hmm. healthy because those guys not only are they pass rushers, they're 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 so much better at. Maintaining that edge for Florida um, and and staying there and not giving it up. And and that's critical because otherwise you are susceptible to those long runs on the outside, which South Carolina had a lot of success with against the Gators.
0: Uh, Yeah, we talked about earlier as well. I'm talking about the, the offense earlier taking advantage of chances uh, when they needed to, taking advantage of opportunities when they when, when they were given. And the defense did and didn't uh, in this game. South Carolina took a 17-10 to 10 lead in the third quarter after C.J. Henderson dropped an easy interception in the end zone uh, that would have kept South Carolina from scoring there. very next play. One of those draw plays we mentioned as Feaster goes for a 21-yard touchdown on third and 11. Uh, but later in the game, the Gators defense comes up and we'll You mentioned it earlier and How big this was And you know After you know Not putting a lot of pressure Last week on the LSU offense uh, The Gators turned it around uh, This week No sacks No turnovers And only one tackle for loss Last week Versus LSU Fast forward to this week three sacks, one turnover, seven tackles for loss. Uh, that havoc helped create Zach Carter knocking the ball loose on a sack uh, of Ryan Holinsky, and, and the Gators end up, um, you know, you know uh, recovering that, extending the lead 31 to 20. Uh, and Florida, you know, entered the day, ranked second nationally in takeaways, and Kyrie Campbell's fumble recovery from that Zachary Carter sack uh, for his fumble gives the Gators 18 on the season. And the Gators had three sacks uh, versus South Carolina, giving them 29 on the season. Took them 12 games last year uh, to eclipse that total. So a week after not seeing a lot of havoc, uh, will we got the we got to see more? And of course, that havoc creates turnovers. The first drive for South Carolina, they were able to move the
1: ball, and they weren't really seeing a pass rush whatsoever from mm-hmm. Florida, I thought. And so I thought it was a good adjustment from Todd Grantham to, OK, say to himself, let me see what this defensive front that I'm putting out there in place of Grenard and Zuniga, let's see what they're capable of. Let's see if they can get a rush on their own, see if they could take all, uh, South Carolina's offensive line. Uh, because we've seen the Gators be able to do that against teams um, and just have a pass rush that's effective without blitzing. It was pretty clear early on that that wasn't going to be the case after that first drive. Holinski had time. It hit some guys in soft coverage in that zone, and they were, they were moving the ball. Uh, ended up, obviously, with a touchdown there. Uh, so he makes the adjustment, starts blitzing more, particularly on third downs. We see, most of the time, at least five guys being sent, whether it was David Reese or Trey Dean, whoever it was. A lot of times, they were coming home on the blitz, too, and they were hitting it. Um, or at least they were making Holinsky aware that it was coming, and that rushed him a little bit. And so he was very ineffective on those passing downs. and led to pretty much a a pretty poor statistical line where he didn't really hit a whole lot of big plays in the passing game at all. Missed some open, missed, I don't want to say open guys, but missed one-on-one coverage at least. And a lot of that was because there was a pass rush there. And so while it may not have been a a huge number of sacks or tackles for loss or whatever, um, it was very evident that it was part of the game that, or part of the reason why Florida was able to win was because that adjustment was made, I thought.
0: Absolutely and one another thing I think that we have to look at here and I kind of definitely one one thing I, I made sure to point out last week, because I thought he would really be able to help the South Carolina offense because of the, the issues they would have uh, at the quarterback position, and that was uh, Brian Edwards, their all, do-it-all playmaker, wide receiver, and the Gators did a good job of uh, limiting him uh, here, their best, you know, South Carolina's best offensive weapon. He had a solid stat line, stat, stat line, of course. Seven catches, 78 yards, 41 of that were on the opening drive flea flicker that he caught, but you know, he didn't have that game-breaker type of play that we, you know, would have kept South Carolina in this game toward the end. You know, I need to go back and, and watch the defensive backs and wide receiver interaction here. And, yes, South Carolina had some guys uh, a couple of steps that were open by a couple of steps in the first half that Helensky overshot. But you know, there were a couple of times you can credit the UFDBs for, for throwing the timing off uh, at the line of scrimmage. But you know, Brian Edwards is a player that can change the game with big plays, and we didn't see it in those seven targets no we didn't and
1: you kind of touched on it there but cj henderson i thought had had one of his better games of the season he had a nice pass breakup Uh, i mentioned earlier that he was pretty effective as a blitzer but he also had that pass breakup made some nice tackles he had a sound game amari bernie had a had a breakup on a one-on-one deep ball uh down down the field late in the game and so yeah florida they they made plays when it mattered defensively. And they took advantage, I think, of what South Carolina's weaknesses is offensively, and that's throwing the ball. I don't think Kalinske uh, has impressed that way. And, and Florida was able to kind of take advantage there. So Florida did do a good job of not having uh, Edwards, their playmaker on offense, hurt them um, in a significant way. And I think they also did that defensively, too, to kind of segue a little bit um, back to the offensive line, because Kimwell mm-hmm. was their guy um, defensively on that defensive line, and they, I thought they did a pretty decent job of uh, double-teaming him when they had to and and not making him completely change the game. I think he still had, he, he had plays where he affected the game, don't get me wrong. I think he ended up with a few tackles. I believe it was him who had his hands up on on that interception from trask that, that that made him throw the ball a little bit higher than he would have wanted to um but all in all it wasn't as if like he completely wrecked the game like auburn's defensive lineman did uh, a few weeks prior so you know i think that florida did do a good job of of not letting certain guys beat them completely
0: yeah and that was a uh, i'm glad you brought that up too because i i Tweeted that Friday, I think, uh, on, on the way up to Columbia. You know, that was going to be one of the, the bigger matchup problems for Florida. And you're right. Yeah, he made plays, but it you know, didn't make the Derrick Brown type of plays that we saw uh, already <laughs> a couple of weeks ago uh, there. So, yeah, I'm glad you brought that up too, because also, we mentioned Kyle Trask and what he was able to do in the fourth quarter. And a lot of that was because he had time to throw. And some of those were plays he kind of maybe even had to extend, but those were just, uh, you know, not necessarily because the offensive line wasn't blocking, but he just needed to move uh, in in the pocket. So a lot of those, you know, a lot of the fourth quarter can also come down to because Kyle Trask had, had had a lot of time to throw.
1: Yeah. And that's where I I think, conversation kind of goes to, well, what is this team capable of at this point, right? Because we could say to ourselves, we could ask ourselves, have the Gators peaked yet this late into the season? I mean, they have a great record. They're going into this Georgia game. Everything is pretty much on the line from this point on. And I can't say that this team has peaked. Because the offensive line is, I think, just now starting to show signs of improvement. And this defense has not been at full health at all pretty Mm -hmm. much this whole year. So I can't make the argument that they peaked. And in fact, I could say that they haven't because of those two reasons I've outlined, plus the fact that Kyle Trask is, I think, steadily developing. I don't want to say he's uh, completely improving from one game to the next, but he is steadily developing and showing signs each week that, that he is a competent quarterback in the SEC, uh, which is which is pretty cool to see. So yeah, I, I think that you're showing some, some optimistic signs from Florida where, yeah, they have a, a pretty nice record at 7-1, and and they're in control of their own destiny exactly where they want to be heading into November. And at the same time, you can make the argument that, yeah, you can kind of convince yourself that more is to come from
0: this team. Yeah, I like that, too. And it will be interesting to see how this Georgia game plays out, too, because uh, of the bye week, Georgia will have kind of two weeks now to prepare for what they've seen, you know, Kyle Trask, these, these last, you know, five, six games here uh, that he's had to play and, and start these games. So, you know, they'll have two weeks to prepare to see what Kyle Trask does so good and what he doesn't do so good and, and see if they can. Uh, unearthed something there in, in, in stopping Kyle Trask. Um, man, I, as you said, you know, there couldn't come at a better time for what Florida needs to do on defense and get healthy. Of course, we, you know, we'll know we see. And uh, the rush, the, you know, the as we just talked about, the defensive rushing uh, stopping the run, there uh, has been some issues there. So, this, yeah, I don't think uh, the bye week could come at a better time for Florida right now. And as you said, of course, it's it's going to be two weeks of, uh, of focusing on Georgia. I know the players talked about it last week or last night, kind of discussing their their minds always on Georgia. But now you get two weeks of it. I know Mullen's going to give them a couple of days off for the bye week and, you know, get mentally, get, you know, good for their, their, their mental state of mind to get a little break right now going into this, Season. I mean, we just called Auburn, LSU, and South Carolina the start of the season, season-defining stretch. Well, now you can kind of stretch that now uh, to, to go even further or even start a new season-defining stretch versus Georgia because of what everything in Jacksonville that's coming up uh, in two weeks of uh, maybe this is starting the season-defining stretch of what could come beyond that.
1: And then if you if Florida beats Georgia, it's like they can't afford a slip up. Yeah. either
0: you know yeah. what I mean. So it's and like it's like it's and like it's what, what yeah, and it's like what Dan Mullen says. You know, once you once you keep winning games, it's the next game that's always bigger. Exactly. And what I like about Florida
1: is that they play up that they play up the significance of these games. They don't they don't downplay it yeah, because that's something that I can never I can never really understand. Um, yeah. Because it's so obvious, and it's like well, why can't you just just sort of say what everybody else is saying you know what I mean it's like come on like so stop downplaying this because it's it, it is huge and you know it and, and Florida doesn't do that they they don't shy away from it uh Dan Mullen doesn't shy away from it and his players don't either they, they know the significance of this game I mean come on um so that's that's always been good to kind of hear because you want to hear that and and Understand that they're seeing exactly what you're seeing. They know what's at stake. And I think that that helps fans kind of Understand exactly what the players are thinking as they as they head into these games because there's no question that they grasp what's going on here and The other part that I want to mention is you mentioned the idea that George is getting two weeks to, prefer, to prepare for Kyle Trask and what Florida's been doing offensively without Felipe Franks this season uh, and then doing so successfully, I may add. Also, I mean, Florida's coaching staff is getting two weeks. And what what we've seen this year um, has been confirmation that you give them time to prepare for a quality opponent, their team is going to be ready. And so giving them two weeks to prepare for Georgia with so much at stake, that has me pretty uh, pretty excited to see what, what what they what they're gonna come out with uh, on both sides of the ball for what still is a very good Georgia team.
0: Absolutely, well, let's get into some tweets here before we uh, wrap up this episode, uh, of course. And this is coming from at Ellington Jones here. He says it was the fourth quarter performance versus South Carolina last year that triggered the Gators' resurgence, hoping for the same. This year. I know a lot of Gator fans pointed out, you know, just how this team plays late in games, how this team plays uh, in the fourth quarter of games. And I mean, look, yeah, uh, under Dan Mullen, it has been something uh, to behold here. Uh, And this was the the win over South Carolina. um, And Florida sent this out here. It's the sixth time in Mullen's tenure that Florida trailed in the fourth quarter and won the game. Trailed 19 to 14 to LSU last year with 11 14 remaining. You win that game. Trailed Vanderbilt 21 to 20 uh, going into the fourth quarter uh, there. You win that game 37 27. Trailed South Carolina 31 to 17 last year with 13 43 remaining. You win 38 35. Trailed Miami at the first game of this season 20 to 17 with 9 48 remaining. Florida wins twenty four twenty. Kentucky, you're trailing in that game twenty one to ten. We all remember that one. Come back and win twenty nine to twenty one. So, well, it is no mistake uh, there. Whether it be, uh, of course, actually, no, not whether it be. It is the combination of Dan Mullen and what he's able to do, Nick Savage, and he's able to do his strength and conditioning, his defense showing up in clutch situations as well. And you've this game. If there's some close games in the fourth quarter. You feel pretty comfortable about Dan Mullen pulling the, pulling those out. Yeah, it creates belief, uh, and it creates belief in the players. Most
1: importantly for Florida, because they go into these fourth quarters if if they have a sh- if they have a realistic shot, whether that's one score, two scores, ten points, fourteen points, whatever they probably think that they're going to win that game. And that's something that really shouldn't be discounted whatsoever, because there's a lot of times in college football where that's the opposite for for these guys. Uh, I mean, we're talking about young guys and it's easy to put their head down and sort of just say, "Okay, that's it. Game's over. But there's a lot of resolve to this Gators team. There's a lot of resiliency to them, and it's going to serve them well going forward when these games continue to start to matter at the highest amount of significance.
0: Yep. So right now, Florida has outscored its opponents um, 85 to 21 uh, in the fourth quarter this year and 147 to 55 in the second half of games this year. So, all right. Some more uh, tweets here uh, from uh, so. Interesting, Will. We knew we were going to get into this. We didn't mention it. I didn't mention it too much before this, but these next two comments, of course. Uh, so from Alexander Alza says, "Not a good look for the officials. Uh, hopefully, no lingering I- injuries after this uh, after this game. Recovering, prepare for the remaining schedule. And thank you, Vanderbilt. So that's in relation. We'll get into the scores here, but Vanderbilt beating um, Missouri here, making this Florida Georgia game even bigger. And also Dylan Young at JD Young A43 also says, "Look." The rest were truly awful, no doubt about it. I'm super proud of the guys for getting the win in the rain and cold. Love seeing Copeland getting so much time. I was surprised to see so little of Emory, though. All all in all, good win. Can't wait for Georgia. Yeah, we mentioned, you know, just had the potential to be a trap game. Florida goes and wins uh, in back-to-back uh, or, or the second uh, road game of their back-to-back road games here. But, yeah, well, of course, the officials, of course, from the South Carolina side, uh, big, big to do there. You know, I don't think some calls went, didn't go Florida's way in the first half, uh, and maybe the ones for South Carolina hurt a bit more. Uh, but uh, you know, these officials, man, uh, there's some bad officiating out there. Yeah, there sure is. Uh, definitely
1: a lot of action for at SEC officiating on Twitter, <laughs> yeah. uh, for sure. But yeah, I mean, yeah, Florida was on the wrong side of it early on in the game, I think South Carolina got like a full yard um, on a on a third down uh, they gave the the officials basically gave them an additional yard uh, for South carolina while, while they were measuring the play um to kind of give them that first down so Florida was on the wrong side of it at first, but then obviously I mean there were a couple of plays that were pretty egregious uh, from the officiating the Hammond block. You could even make the argument that Cleveland may have been holding on Pierce's run. There, there were so many. Will Muschamp is definitely fed fed up. I can tell you that much by the end of it.
0: <laughs> Absolutely, he definitely, uh, definitely was uh, was not happy here. And uh, all right, let's take a look around for other scores. Uh, what happened in the SEC? And of course, uh, if, well, of course, we'll, we'll start. FSU and Miami both go down. Will uh, not a good look. Uh, Florida State. Loses to Wake Forest 22 to 20. Miami, really, really bad loss to Georgia Tech 28 21. So, you know, Florida's opening game opponent, not really living off their close game loss to Florida. Uh, and there was no, not able to build on that performance. And then FSU, of course, the season ended for Florida, they just keeps struggling. And that last drive where they just fumbled the ball over the place, couldn't get anything going uh, on, on a maybe, you know, last miracle drive there, uh, you know, defense are pretty happy. Uh, their two in-state rivals go down. Brutal, brutal. <laughs> really bad
1: losses. Yeah, I mean, that's... It just goes to show you, one, with with the FSU situation, it's just a good reminder that it's not easy uh, to, to kind of go into a program and all of a sudden make it a contender again. We've seen that across the country. FSU is one example. Tennessee is another from that, from that 2017 yeah. sort of coaching change uh, situations. And then Miami, I mean, that's both those teams there's just a litany of issues, um, particularly on offense where they just I I don't I don't like what either team is doing really on either side of the ball. It's it's been ugly.
0: Yeah. Okay. We'll move to the SEC here. Auburn blows out Arkansas after a bye week after they lose to Florida. So fifty-one to ten, Auburn over Arkansas. Of course, Florida's thirty-eight twenty-seven victory over South Carolina. LSU with a little bit of a slower start uh, than, uh, than than last week, uh, Mississippi they, Mississippi State hung tough with them the uh, you know, first quarter and a half or so, but LSU ends up winning thirty-six to thirteen in Starkville. The upset in the SEC of the week was Vanderbilt twenty-one. Missouri, 14, uh, up in Nashville there. So, big, big upset and there. As I said, it really just kind of ramps up Florida, Georgia in a couple of weeks. And then Georgia struggles, um, goes scoreless in the first half. Uh, 21, they end up winning 21 to nothing over Kentucky. Just an ugly win, ugly weather. But uh, Georgia, definitely with, with Jake Fromm, as uh, Will said earlier, just not really getting it going. Jake Fromm, 35 yards passing there. Uh, DeAndre Swift kind of saves them in and 79 yards rushing, and then the nightcap uh, two uh, two late games in the uh, SEC. Texas A&M beats Ole Miss 24 to 17, and then Tua gets hurt uh, was probably out a couple weeks. But Alabama beats Tennessee 35 to 13, and of course we we'll have to look at the SEC standings now. Florida four and one in the SEC. Uh, with a lead uh, kind of I guess right now just because they've played uh, more games here but Florida 4-1 and in conference Georgia 3-1 and Missouri 2-1 and here uh, and then so that's your, your top three teams in the SEC East and then it goes South Carolina Tennessee Vanderbilt Kentucky in the West Alabama at 4-0 in the conference LSU 3-0 in the conference Auburn at 3-1 and in the conference with their loss to Florida so Will anything catch uh, your eye uh, besides Georgia and Kentucky in the SEC? Well, the Missouri loss is pretty pretty significant too. That's a huge win for Derek Mason, but that's yeah, a, that's
1: a, it's it's equally uh, important for Florida's chances of winning the SEC East because I figure that game was going to be a tough one in in Missouri uh, later late in in um, late November. And maybe maybe I'm kind of overselling it at this point. I still think it's pretty it's going to be um, a little bit more difficult than say. Um, Vanderbilt mm-hmm. after after, uh, after the Georgia game and maybe just as difficult as that South Carolina game was for Florida to win uh, just yesterday. But yeah, I mean it's it's what getting toward the end of October here. Um, week eight just ended and we could say Florida is the best team in the SEC East right now. Um, that's that's pretty significant.
0: Yeah, a lot of people weren't, didn't think uh, when the season started going into Florida-Georgia that most people would probably be picking Florida or Florida would be the better team uh, heading into the big game in Jacksonville. So, Will, of course, you released uh, your article on The Athletic yesterday, uh, giving a detailed look at Florida's win over South Carolina. What, you, what else you got coming up in the next couple of days? Yeah, we have, uh, we have the exit survey, which I usually post um, Sundays following a game.
1: This week I'll have uh, Zach Albaverde, um on with me for that. So um, look at kind of a deep dive into what happened and what we could kind of um, focus our attention on heading into the Georgia matchup. Uh, we'll definitely pick apart the matchups within that game um, throughout the week, maybe delve a little bit into recruiting now that we have um, an idle week to kind Mm of um, go, you know, look at a couple of different focuses. So a lot on deck at the F.R.A.
0: Absolutely. Um, Are you ready for the bye week? Are you ready for the bye week, Will?
1: Yeah, once I can hopefully get healthy and get over my allergies. I'll be I'll be in New York uh, toward the end of the week, kind of see some family, so that should be fun. Okay.
0: But it's coming at a good time for sure. <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. I think we're all a little. I think we all need a little refresher uh, right now. So uh, all right, we'll get better. Man, with your allergies, safe travels up to New York. That's Will Salmon. You can find him on Twitter at Will Salmon and his work at The Athletic. I'm the host of Gator's Breakdown, David Waters. You can find me on Twitter at GatorDave underscore SCC. Guys and girls out there, thanks for listening to this episode of Gators Breakdown.